Father, this evening, we just thank you, Lord. The days that are before, there's only one constant in our life, Lord. It is you. And we pray even now, Lord, this present hour, we need you. I need you to speak. We need you to hear. Prepare us, Lord. Take us through the rest of the day's year. Take us into this coming new year. Be with us. You not just go with us, but first, Father, go before us. Because we haven't gone that way before. Only you have. For you are the only one who has seen the end from the beginning. So teach us to follow you, Lord, and to go wherever you lead us. Now, touch our ears, our minds, our heart, to hear, to understand, to believe, above all, to obey, Lord. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Very, very simple message today. Very simple message, but the title is not so simple. Uh, the title is the most powerful four-letter word. And I hope your minds are clean. Let's go to John 3.16. Well, we know John 3.16. For God so loved the world. They say there is no more well-known words in the Bible. Or no more more powerful words in the Bible. For God so loved the world. Sinners rejoice at it. Hell trembles at it. And if the star guided the wise men to Bethlehem, these one words we will see in eternity has guided millions to heaven. The verse does not say God loved the world. The verse says, God so loved the world. When it says, so loved the world, actually it surpasses any human comparison. Many, if even in the Bible, have tried to apply it to the closest or different forms, powerful human relationships, but it fails. In Isaiah 49 and verse 15, scripture says, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget that I will not forget you. See, you have to have these verses in mind when you use that word and just try to understand that word so for God. So love the world. The psalmist in Psalm 27 and verse 10 says, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Okay, so it brings human relationships connected with love, very, very close relationships connected with love. And it says the love of God surpasses all of this. It's difficult for us even to understand in all of eternity we'll be trying to comprehend what does that one little letter called so mean. Because the mind of man can never fully comprehend the love of God. Simply because 
the love of God is like God. It has no beginning. It has no end. Because it's just like him. Because he is infinite, his love is also infinite. It is limitless. Because God's power is infinite, so is the power of love. That's why scripture says God never fails. Love never fails. His love, not our love. His love never fails. In Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now we will say to you, you will say to your girlfriend, I will love you forever and ever. It doesn't make any sense actually. Scripture when God says he has loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness I have drawn you. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul will put across this way and it is important. He says in Ephesians 3, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Okay, That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He brings something very interesting over there. He says, it's only when we really start understanding the depth of God's love can we be filled with the fullness of God. Okay. Not the depth of the knowledge of God, not the depth of the power of God, but the depth of God's love is only when we can be actually filled with the fullness of God. This is why today, this night we are focusing on is this, because it's really, really important because that's what sets us free. Because God's love for us is not because of who we are but because of who he is. Our love is because of who we are. That's why we have limits to our love. We cannot, we cannot love certain people, certain kinds of people. We are not able to love everybody the same way. We are not able to love people too much. It's because that's the way we are. So God's love for us is not because of who we are. It's because of who he is. His love, let's put theological terms, is uncaused. It is not caused by anything. Our love is caused by anything, something. When no, when you have a baby, your love is caused, the sight of your baby. God has always loved before anything was created. It is not caused by anything. And it is unceasing because God is love. What frees us is, I and you cannot demand it. I and you cannot earn it. I and you cannot win it. Or I and you cannot try to woo him for it. Because he does not love me for who I am. He loves him because of who he is. That is where our strength and boldness comes. When God says, come boldly confidently to the throne room of grace. It is not because of who we are. It's because of who he is. So it doesn't matter how deep you have fallen in sin. You can still go boldly to God because his love is not based on who I am. 
It is based on who he is. And it's the most, what you call, freeing. will set you free if you understand. Because everywhere in the world, that is not how it works. It is not how it works. You are accepted on the basis of your performance. Except with God. That's the first step of freedom. You can always approach God. Boldly, confidently approach God. Whether you are the best behavior or you are at the worst behavior. Because God loves you and me. Not because of who we are. But because of who he is. In Romans 5, 8, scripture says, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were sinners. God did not love us when we were saints. God loves us when we were sinners. Christ did not die for you and me when we were good. Christ Jesus died for us when we were bad. So when scripture says God so loved the world and he gave his only son, it sets you free. It means if we, that's you and I, did not do anything to earn God's love, we don't have to fear losing it either. You cannot lose what you haven't earned. You can lose only what you have earned. If I did nothing to gain it, how can my performance increase it? Okay. Get these concepts very, very clear because this is, the love of God is the most liberating part of a person's life once you come to Christ and understand what salvation, because the, the cornerstone of salvation is God's love for man, because God is love. Now we come to the second part. That is the difficult part. Okay, not the first part to understand. God loves me irrespective of who I am because God is love. God loves me because of who he is, not because of who I am. The second part is connected with us. Now comes the experience of God's love. How do I experience God? God loves me. But then how do I experience God's love? That's a different matter altogether. Rhetorical questions. Can a blind man experience the beauty of God's creation? Answer is no. Can a blind or deaf man experience the wonder of sound, music? Can a child, let's say one of our babies in LHL, can a child that is fed through the tube experience the joy of taste? My blindness does not affect the beauty of nature. It only affects my capacity to experience it. My deafness does not change the beauty of sound. It only affects my capacity to experience it. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded those who do not believe? Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, would shine. What is the, what is the light of the gospel? The light of the gospel, the glory of the gospel is that God so loved the world. Because the enemy has blinded man, we are 
we were blind people unable to see the beauty of creation we were deaf people unable to experience the beauty of sound in the same way spiritually we were blinded where we were not able to experience the love of god though love god loved us always the same way before we got saved after we got saved after we grew in holiness whatever you want to name it he always loved us the same way it cannot be decreased it cannot be increased because that's the nature of god he has blinded us that enemy blinds the world okay now let's go further into it very familiar but let's get into this before the end year ends so that we go and walk in confidence the two facets of god two two it's like two sides of the coin okay god is love we know from scripture we know from experience god is love out of it flows his grace his mercy his kindness his compassion his gentleness all this is an outflow of his love god so loved the world he sent his only son and therefore through grace we are saved he shows mercy he shows compassion even though we walk in rebellion he waits and he waits and he waits and waits till our last breath all that is because god is love that is one side of god the other side of god equally true is god is holy and out of it flows truth righteousness justice judgment integrity equity all this flows out of the fact that god is holy the other side grace mercy kindness compassion all flows from the fact that god is love in the garden of eden before the fall there was perfect balance in the relationship of god and man god's holiness and god's love therefore man adam and eve had perfect fellowship with god then sin came when sin entered man sinned it did not change god it changed man it didn't change god god is always the same it never changed god it is man who changed because of sin and sin is both against god's love and against god's holiness sin is not just against god's holiness understand it is also against equally against god's love the fallen man now the man who is fallen in sin he is incapable of experiencing god's love that doesn't mean god doesn't love him he is incapable of experiencing god's love that's what isaiah 59 and verse 2 says your iniquities have separated you from your god not god from you it hasn't separated god from you it has separated you from your god your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear our sin nature acts as a barrier in experiencing god's love that's exactly what it means we read i don't know a couple of sundays back or wednesdays back in second corinthians 3:15 scripture says even to this day when moses is read a veil lies on your heart why what is moses when he's talking about moses he's talking about the law when you read the law a veil covers your heart because law only brings awareness of sin the only function of the law is to make awareness of sin so when you read the law all you are aware of your sin 
And your sin itself becomes the blindfold from experiencing the love of God. That's why in the book of Romans, Paul says, wretched man I am, who will save me? Because the more you read the law, the more the sin you are aware, it, it becomes the blindfold. You are not able to experience God. But the purpose of the law was to point you to Christ. And it is the love of God in Christ. So the next verse will say, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, Oh, let's take it away. The minute you turn to the to Christ, the veil goes. The sin is gone. You look at him and you realize God loves you in spite of your sin and he died to take that sin away. You turn to the law, the veil is taken away and you are actually now able to experience the love of God. We are able to experience the love of God. Okay, so understand the purpose of the law and what it does. Okay, and the veil is taken away. When you turn, to, if you don't turn to Christ, the whale will always remain over there. Now, the most familiar in the world and in the church too, one of the most familiar stories in terms of parables that Jesus talked to, ex- to explain the love of the father is the story of the prodigal son. Actually, I should say prodigal sons. <laughs> because both were actually incapable of experiencing the father's love. And there is no better parable that Jesus used to explain the actual nature of God. You have three parables, one after another, in in that chapter, Luke 15. And all three parables are connected. And all three parables are actually tied to something that happened in the beginning. That's why he said this, one, two, three. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Let's look at the beginning. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. All the sinners came close to him to hear him. Immediately there was a reaction. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The sinners drew near. The righteous complained. So he spoke this parable to them. To understand the context. Okay? The thing about Jesus was that sinners drew near to him. And the righteous also flocked around him to hear him. It's not the righteous ran away from him. Okay? If the righteous ran away from you, that means you are a sinner. If only sinners come to you and the righteous stay away from you, that means you are one among the sinners. Jesus was not a sinner. But sinners came to him because he was incredibly loving. And he was incredibly righteous. So the righteous also were challenged by him. So both Nicodemus and the Samaritan are drawn to him like the magnet. It is not only the sinners. You'll always see the righteous are also around him. So understand this. One group drew near, that's when the other group complained. So we will see both the sons in the story represent these two groups. And both were actually Incapable of experiencing the love of the Father until they are set free. Now if you look at the first son, he loved the world. Anybody here? Second son, he loved himself. Okay. Anybody here? When God says in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world 
or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why does he say this? The reason is that, he says, if you love the world and the things of the world, it actually stops you from experiencing the love of God. It becomes the block. Yet, please understand, you know, anyone who has come for the first time, understand when God uses the term world, he uses it in two different ways. One is the people. God so loved the world is the people. When he uses the other term world, do not love the world, is the system that has been created by man and the devil. The world has been very uniquely fashioned by the enemy to steal our affections. That's why this world is our enemy. The world is not our friend and the world opposes God at every turn because the very purpose of this world which the enemy has fashioned through man is to steal our affections. Ultimately what happens is when the world gets inside fully, Christ goes outside. That is what happened to the Laodicean church. The Laodicean church, Jesus is outside and the world is fully inside. Now, when God talks about the world, we know the main things about the world is one is money, the other is things, because you need money to buy things. There is nothing wrong with either things or money, or the money with which we buy things. Now, connecting things, this is how God says in James chapter 1, 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lives, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Says everything which you have got, which is good. No problem with it. It is God who gives it. When it talks about money, scripture talks about it this way. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it doesn't say money. It's, it's the love of money. If the problem is money, we all need money. Okay, And women have to be more careful with money than men. Because men keep it at the back, women keep it in the front. <laughs> so keep money behind you. Okay, Don't keep it in front of you. Okay. See, the problem is not the money. The problem is the love of money. The problem is when you have love of money, it affects your affection for God. It affects you how you experience God. Our eye and our heart and our mind should be fixed on God who gives us both money and things. So in the same letter, this is how Paul will put us, put across in 1st Timothy chapter 6, 7. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He says, put your focus on God. Not on money, not on things. Keep your eye on God. Therefore, these things which he gives you richly, you will be able to enjoy it without the things becoming a snare and taking your heart. Or the money taking your heart. Keep your eyes on God. He gives us richly all things. And he gives things to enjoy it. God is not saying that you should not enjoy things. He says you should not enjoy things at the cost of your relationship with God. Because the moment our eyes starts getting fixed on the world we actually start losing our capacity to experience the love of God. And the problem is, when I am not able to experience the love of God, and my eye is on something, 
even that thing in the long run loses its capacity to bring any enjoyment. That's the problem. That's the trap. On the other hand, when my heart is stayed on God, anything has a lasting effect to bring enjoyment to you. Whether even it's an old broken down car, you still enjoy it. Because your heart is stayed on God. But if your heart is stayed, not stayed on God, it doesn't matter how beautiful the thing is, it doesn't have the capacity to give you enjoyment forever. It loses it. And that's what God is saying. Because God is not a joy killer. But to many people, because they don't experience the love of God, when they hear about God, He looks like that hard, restrictive, Joy killer. But he is not. What God is saying is, you love me first, you will be able to enjoy things. On the other hand, if you enjoy only things, ultimately you will never enjoy things or God. So God puts these two boys over there, young men, let us say. Because the problem is not with things. The minute we abandon the father's love, we are actually lost. Doesn't matter where we are. The younger son was lost much before he left home. That he was lost after him, he left home is only a physical reality, but he's already lost in his heart. You know the story, so I'm not explaining the story. We need to look into his heart and judge his words by his heart. First, he wants his part or his portion when his father is still alive. Okay, look at his heart. His father is still alive. He wants his portion. Two, not only that, he wants the freedom to do what he wants with his portion. He just doesn't want his portion. It is not that you give me my portion, I will make a wall and I'm going to really work on my estate. No. I also want the freedom to do what I want with my portion. You then don't tell me anything further what to do with what you give to me. It's not only that. Third part, he doesn't want to be anywhere near his father. He wants to go with his riches to a faraway country. That's why I always tell to young people, Always judge your heart. I always see this. The minute kids reach class 12, they want to go to a faraway country. It has got nothing to do with the father or the mother. It's got to do with you. It's got to do with you. Always you see the story being replayed a billion times in history. It's not that the father is sending you to a faraway country. You're urging Struggling to go as far as possible. The son was not asking for the estate. He was asking for the substance of the estate. I hope you get the difference. Because with the estate alone would come responsibilities. And he does not care for the moral obligations that comes with the estate. He just wants the wealth that comes from the estate. One, if you take the estate with its moral uh, obligations, then you have to build on it. 
If you only take the substance of the estate, you can spend it the way you like. So he didn't want the estate. He wanted the substance of the estate. That's what scripture says. As soon as he got it, he sold it and cashed his check and he left. He just wants the wealth that comes from the estate. One you have to build on. The other you spent. Okay. The most famous story in our time is when the two Ambani brothers were fighting. The mother intervened. Divided the estate. One son did not sell the whole thing, make it into cash and immigrate to US. He did not. Both started building on the estate. One built the reliance industry, the other got into telecom and everything. So they both built on the father's estate when Dhirubhai died. Okay. Now in this case, that's not what is happening. He doesn't want the estate. He doesn't want to do anything on the estate. He just wants to sell it. He wants to take the money and he wants to go. You have to look and hear this in terms of inheritance. The gifts you have received. The power God has given you to give wealth. How do we see this? How do we... Ex- because God has... That's the nature of God's love. He sets you free. The question is, how do you use your freedom? He's not asking for the estate. He's asking for the substance of the estate because on one, you have to build. There are obligations and responsibilities. With the other, there are no responsibilities. You spend it as you wish. So the question is, are they prodigals still around? So many get married or want to get married. There is an estate of marriage and then there is the wealth of the marriage. One comes with great obligations and responsibilities. In the second case, it's only benefits. So you have to ask this question. Why do you want to get married? Why do you want to have children? There are two sides of this story in every facet of life. There is the estate. There is the substance. And the problem is, those who do not have, don't see the obligations of the estate, when they get the estate, they want to cash it in. When you don't understand the obligations that comes with the relationship, you want to cash it. The prodigal, in every age, every place, takes the benefits and refuses the obligations. There are many who want a good job. Same principle. There is the estate. There is obligation or just benefits. With every job comes obligation. Last Sunday when I was speaking to the other church, I was telling them, no, when God says, uh, like you, you know it so well, but they're hearing it for the first time. When God says, offer your life basically as a living sacrifice, where do you make your sacrifice? You cannot make sacrifice from duty. It's impossible, unacceptable. If you'd sacrifice from your duty, it is unacceptable. Jesus never sacrificed from his duty. 
He sacrificed from areas where he did not affect anybody. So you look through his ministry life, you will see he always cut off sleep. He didn't affect anybody, only him. So he didn't sleep. Many nights he did not sleep. He always slept very little early in the morning because he was sacrificing from his sleep. And second thing you will see, he sacrificed from food. He would do a whole day's ministry without eating lunch. It didn't affect anybody. It only affected him. There are obligations and there are benefits. We have to look at the the prodigal in us. The prodigal will take the benefits and throw the obligations out. And if that's the heart of, it's our heart, we are already lost. And we are lost in the house of God. It's like the book of the law was found in the house of God. It was found in the house of God because it was lost in the house of God. Understand this. Understand these okay, principles. It's the same with the church too. Whether you are a pastor, an elder, deacon, church member, there is an estate and there is the wealth of the estate. There are benefits and there are obligations. And the question is, where do you see yourself? And the fact is that 90% of the Christians in the world only take the benefits and walk away. Walk away. If their spiritual eyes were to be opened, they will not realize the very reason you are alive as a child of God is because of the church. Because the minute you got saved and became part of the church, you were on the hit list. But it is the church that put a covering around you and kept you alive. But they take the Benefits of the church. But they forget the obligations of the church. Doesn't matter who, you, what position we hold. Positions are irrelevant. We take the benefits, but we forget the obligations. That's what the Bible is talking about. In Luke 15 and verse 13, scripture says, Not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a country. He got everything, all his possessions. He cashed it. He gets his share, disposes his share, turns it into cash, gold, whatever, leaves home to a distant country. Leaving home, it's a spiritual fact, is the denial of the spiritual reality that I belong to God. It's a denial of the spiritual reality that I belong to God. Okay. Now we are not talking about leaving your home, but we are talking about the heart of the prodigal. Because we do not see all the restrictions placed around us are so that we may experience and enjoy the love of God and be truly free with Him, not apart from Him. Because apart from Him, there is no freedom. But this young man was lost by choice. He sees his father's home as a prison and the world as a free place. One day when he hits rock bottom, he will realize the world is a prison and his father's home actually is a free place. Home in this parable 
is where we hear the voice of the good shepherd. What that voice says, that young man refuses to hear. What does that voice teach us in John 17? This is what the voice teaches us. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. When you're going on to this distant country in our heart, because we are tired of the father's rules and his home and his care and his protection and his mercy and his compassion. But the father says, you are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent him, sent them into the world. Need to realize the prodigal son was not sent out. He walked out. There's a difference being sent out and walking out. When we are sent out, then like the psalmist says, and as Priyanka said, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I was sent. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When you are sent out, you will not die of hunger in the wilderness because he will set a table for you. Your enemies cannot overpower you because he will set the table in the presence of your enemies because you were sent. Elijah was sent. So in chariot, when the whole land is in famine, he eats two meals a day. He is sent to Zarephath. When everybody is crouching for food, he is eating now three meals a day because he was sent. And God is setting a table for him in the presence of his enemies. When we are sent, we are not separated from his love. We do not experience the separation from his love. That's a rhetorical question Paul asks and explains. What can separate us? Not who can. What can separate us from the love of God? If you are sent, nothing. Can prison walls separate us from the love of God? He says, no. Can the court separate us from the... He says, in the prison, I experience his presence. In the court, I experience the presence of his love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God when you are sent. But when we walk out, we are separating ourselves from experiencing the love of God. That's what Joseph could say. I was sent. I didn't walk out. And it didn't matter whether I was in my father's house or in Potiphar's palace or in the prison or in Pharaoh's court. His presence was always there. Because I was a man who was sent. And that's how the psalmist will say the Genesis record. There was a man sent by God. It doesn't matter in which way you are sent. In chains maybe. But you were sent. You did not walk out. Joseph did not walk out of his father or his brothers. He was sent. But over and over people leave home the spiritual home, without him. And that is the sorrow of the father's heart. Generation after generation has birthed prodigals who leave home. If you look at the record in the four gospels, very little about Jesus' early lives, but it never records Jesus left home. Until First, he was baptized. That means he's dead to the world. Two, he's filled with the spirit. Then in the world, in the wilderness, 
and in the world. He is able to resist all the voices of the world and remain in the love of his father. And he will say, my father has never left me. You have to look when he left and how he left. We don't know about the prodigal son because Jesus uses it as a parable. But in any imaginary situation, the conversations that must have taken back and forth. The son must have told, you don't let me do what I want. I can't wait till you die to be free. I want to be free now. I can't wait. You make all the choices for me. I want to be like you. I want to be free. To make my own choices. That's exactly what the devil told Eve. If you eat, you will be like God. Free. You don't have to listen to him anymore. You are free. To make your own choices. He doesn't realize, probably the father tells him, you don't realize you are already free because you are my son. Free to experience my love, my grace. All that comes freely with it. And all these rules you fight against are actually to secure your freedom. Not to take your freedom away. But the sun symbolic of so many, all of us, at one point in time in life. He refuses the counsel and leaves in search of freedom. Luke 15 and verse 13 will teach us he wasted or he spent his possessions with prodigal living. What does it say? It's a very fundamental lesson. It will always teach you that if you want to enjoy this world, you will have to spend you will have to waste your inheritance. If you don't spend your inheritance, you cannot enjoy this world. And we are not talking about alcohol or drugs, even to make money. You will have to waste your inheritance. Even, young people, listen carefully, even to have a circle of friends in the world, you will have to waste your inheritance. Because it is impossible to have a circle of worldly friends until you come down to their level. And that's at the cost of who you are. You have to listen or participate in their off-color jokes. You have to listen to what they listen. Talk like they talk. Eat like they eat. Walk like they walk. If you want to maintain a circle of friends in this world, it will cost you. That's what he's talking about. He has to spend. In the kingdom of God, you don't have to spend anything. You gain. You gain because simply, because we were, look, all the people sitting here, all from unknown, nobody knew each other. And the only reason we are sitting together is because of the Father. The commonality among us is because of the Father. And it is not that we all love God the same way. It is because He loves us the same way. That's the commonality. Doesn't work that in the world. Anything you want to do in the world and become like the world, you will have to waste your inheritance. 
even to gain a friend. You can have acquaintances. But if you tell me that you have somebody in the world who is your best friend, I'm telling you, like the prodigal son, you have wasted your inheritance. Otherwise, it's impossible. Because it's the word of God. How can light and darkness mix? The interesting part is the father does the unthinkable. He grants his son the freedom to do what he wants. Why? Because he's already lost in the house. He's not going to get lost by going outside. He's already lost in the house. The father's action is not rejection. If he had rejected his son, he would not have waited for him every day. It's not rejection. Because he watches and waits happily in this story till he comes home. Many fathers and mothers have died and their prodigals never came home. Just as the good shepherd did not stop searching until he found the lost sheep. Just as the woman did not stop searching until she found the lost coin. The father too waited and watched till he came home. Okay, understand. We always make it just the story of the prodigal son. No, it's actually more about the unconditional love of God where he allows us to go but never stops waiting and watching. For the day we will come back to God. So like we keep saying, it all starts in the mind. The minute our eyes or our minds start focusing on the world of things or world, we actually start losing our capacity to experience his love. I was telling the other church, I said I was in Kathmandu. And one of the pastors, actually it was a lawyer, when he was giving a a lecture about church, how to deal with the law, he was saying something interesting. He says, my wife will come and tell me, do you know that believer from that church died? And in Nepali, I mean, you have to say the colloquial to find it so funny. And he will say, very good. Okay. Then another day his wife came and told and said, you know, that believer also died. He said, very good. And his wife used to get upset with him. (laughs) Now the question is, when a believer dies, do we say very good? Uh, Moses. If Moses, let's look at how we think. We are not talking about the people in the world. Leave the people in the world, people in the church, okay? If Moses gets a job in Dubai, what will we all say? Very good. If Moses is dying, what do we say? So sad. How do we see things? How do we see things? That's why it all begins. The minute our mind is on the world, God hasn't changed. His love hasn't changed. Who has changed is I have changed. And I am now struggling to experience the love of God and I cannot blame God because he has never stopped loving any one of us. It is that I have blocked myself from experiencing His love. Why does Jesus say, we know it well, that the greatest of all commands is love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your... Why does Jesus say that? Have you ever asked? 
let's leave the world aside. Why does he say that? He says it because that's exactly the way he loves you and me. With all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength. He will never ask you or me to do something which he doesn't do himself. When God tells me, James, love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, it is simply because he loves me with all his heart, with all his soul, with his all his strength. So when scripture says God so loved the world, it means with all his heart, with all his soul, all his strength. And if you ask Abraham in his old age, Abraham, who is the apple of my eye, he will say Isaac. And if you ask God, who is the apple of your eye, he will say Jesus. And scripture says God so loved the world, he gave his son. All is everything he's got. Don't see it as a law. If you see it as a law, we will never understand and we're never able to reciprocate that love. That's exactly the way he loves us. That's why he said the cross sets you free. At the cross, you have to see beyond forgiveness of our sins and you have to go beyond all that to be able to consistently at some point in your life to start walking with God. That's what John 3.16 means. He loves you and me with all his heart, all his might, with all his strength. That is why we have to see this world with different eyes because this entire materialistic world has been created apart from God. And those little, little nuggets in the Bible, God made stone, man made bricks. So let us make Babel, that tower, with bricks and not with stone. And yet in Exodus 20, when the commandment is given, God says, when you make an altar, either with earth or stones, uncut stones, meaning make it with what I made. Do not make it with what this world has created. Because the minute you start building a place where you and I meet and fellowship with something which this world has made, you already have lost it. Because this entire world has been fashioned in such a manner to steal your affections. Steal your affections. God gives us clothes. Enjoy your clothes. But if it tears, don't get upset. If somebody pours tea over your new kurta, don't get upset. The dog eats your shoes, don't get upset. None of these things matter. That's how you know your reaction to things. How you react, there's a difference between stewardship, please don't misunderstand me, and loving things. There's a difference between two things. Stewardship, And loving things are two different things. But your reaction, the reaction to stewardship when something gets damaged is you become even more careful because you know I'm responsible for something. Reaction to loving things, you get mad. You get wild. Last Sunday, of all the drivers in the city, I got the best driver in the world. And Sajid turned around in front of Jesus and the stone was there hidden here. I could hear like bones scratching, the car going over the stone. And I looked at it and I turned away and said, I'm not going to react. (laughs) That's one car with hardly any scratches and the whole friend went over it. 
But you know, you're not going to react to it. And how many times I have told him when somebody scratches that car, don't, 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 leave it alone, leave it alone, don't go outside and fight, don't fight, leave it alone, leave it alone. God didn't die for cars, he died for people. Don't, 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 no. But the thing is that we, we were all like that once. We were all like that once. Okay, we all like that once. And I know, I know as parents, no, young parents sitting, young parents means parents with young children, no. You have to be very, very careful when your little child spoils something which is important to you. Not important to God. Nothing is important to God except people. That's why he will save nothing out of this world, burn it all and take the people with him. So don't say the thing is important to God, not. Okay? But when something that is very attached to you, when your little boy or little girl breaks it or spoils it, be very careful how you react. Very careful how you react. Be very careful to show that you react by saying that you are the one that is valued, but you have to learn stewardship. Be very careful. Sometimes parents go wild when a child breaks a flower vase or some picture. Or... Understand? Because these are things that block us. That's why we have to see this world and the things in this world differently because they have been created apart from God. The things in itself are not evil. But when we use them in without reference to the Father, they are simply wasted. There's no reference to the Father here. I did not work for this. This is my Father's inheritance. I did not earn for this strength he gave to me freely. I did not earn my life he gave to me freely. He breathed into my nostrils this morning. That's why you and I woke up. I did not earn it. It was given freely. This 24 hours, this day was not, I did not earn it. It was given freely. Everything is freely given. It's my inheritance. Freely given. And I cannot spend it without referencing it to the Father, my God, my Father, referencing it to the Father. See, when we say the trap of the materialistic world, okay, be very careful about the trap of this world, be very clear. Jesus, Jesus puts it another place this way, in Luke 8 and verse 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, Go out and are choked with cares, riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Now he is talking about the word of God. When you hear the word of God, don't make it into the word of God. Make it into the person of God. The beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. It's the person of God. And in this world, it needn't be riches or pleasures. You may be absolutely stoic, no interest in the world, but you are consumed by anxiety. It is part of this materialistic world. That's why the mindset has to change. You look at the saints in the New Testament, not Old Testament. Saints in the New Testament, they are all groaning to die, not to live. Because they understand The biggest hindrance to me experiencing God is this body. My soul is bursting within this prison to go to him. So Paul says, for me to die is gain for you. 
To live is gain for you. To die is gain for me. They did not see this body as their friend. They saw this body as their enemy. So they brought into subjection to serve God while they were living. But their soul was bursting to go to God. Because they saw that is where my destiny is. The cares of this world is connected only with the body. What to eat? What to drink? What to wear? Whom to marry? Where to live? Everything. In heaven, you will not think about food. You will not think about what to drink, what to wear. You will not think about marriage. You will not think about children. You will not think about anything except God. Because all the cares of this world is connected with the body. So when you are talking about this materialistic world, the prodigal son may have gone only for riches and pleasures, but you may be a prodigal child sitting here full of cares. Still entrapped by the world. That's what scripture is talking about. Worry, anxiety. You see, the prodigal son never worried when he lived close to his father. Never. Never worried about a meal when he was in his father's house. But now that he's far away from the father, you will see he will worry about every meal. Worry has come in. Worry is always connected with how close to your father you are. Anxiety is also a sin. There is pleasure in sin. Love of money is the root of all evil, which leads to sin. Anxiety is also a sin. And the problem is all these separate us from experiencing the love of God. And the world is created by the devil to cause either lust or anxiety. You will see as his resources dwindled, anxiety was mounting. Now it is not desire for riches or freedom that is ruling his mind. No, it is the anxiety because he lacks. That's why Jesus said, don't worry. Don't worry. He says, why are you worried? Your father already knows what you seek. Stay close to him. In Romans 8 and verse 32, incredible, powerful verse of God where he says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all, us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all? He says, you need things in this life. I know that. He says, if he did not spare his own son for you along with him, won't he also give you all things? The issue is, is if you get anxious, you stop experiencing God. God is still the same. He hasn't changed his feelings towards you, his love towards you. Nothing has changed. But we struggle. Paul is very, very clear when he states in Philippians 3, 7 and 8. He's very, very clear. What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss. Loss. He says, These things, I consider it loss only because I gain Christ. Otherwise, it is not loss. 
See, the problem is if you try to be an ascetic and I'm going to give away this thing and I'm going to give away this thing, I'm going to give away this thing because pastor said I'm going to give away this thing without gaining Christ, you'll be miserable. You'll be miserable because you neither have Christ nor have things. You better have things. At least you have a joy that is temporary with things. Indeed, I also count all things. Loss. No. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, that is how I consider it. It doesn't make any difference to him because of what I got in return. If you don't get that in return, don't even try to give your things away. Try to gain Christ, you will give your things away automatically. And please remember, even if Christ is second and not first, then loss is loss and not gain. Loss is gain only when Christ is first, not when he is second. Are you getting it? Christ has to be first. Then only when you lose anything your heart is attached to, you will still see it has gain. Loss of Joseph was loss for Jacob. And he was frozen in time for 21, 22 years because his heart was attached to that boy. And he wouldn't was willing to give even Benjamin because his heart was now attached to that boy. Death was lost for Hezekiah. That's why even though he had the prophet of God coming and speaking the oracle of God, he wept bitterly. Because Christ was not first in his life. In Jacob's case, Joseph was. In Hezekiah's case, life on earth was. But for Moses, it was Christ. And not this life. Hebrews 11.26 puts it so powerfully. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches. Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. And we have to look at it. This guy is a different dimension altogether. It is not saying that esteeming the glory of Christ. We can understand. We can understand. Esteeming the glory of Christ is one thing. That's not what he esteemed. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. That's how he saw. And that's why Egypt had no power over him. Couldn't affect his affections anymore. And he could walk with God, stay in the wilderness for 40 years and then walk in the wilderness for another 40 years because his affections were taken by Christ. It was the encounter with Christ that broke the bondage of Egypt in his heart. Because bondage is in the heart, it is not outside. I was telling that church, think about Moses. Moses was the prince of Egypt, a bohemian Gentile nation. If Solomon had 300 wives and 600 concubines, how many could Moses have as prince of Egypt? What could he do? There was no law for him. Prince of Egypt. You could eat anything, drink anything, do anything. There is no law against it. Walked away in one day. Heard, you are not the son of the Pharaoh. 
you are a slave. Immediately identity changed. He called himself the son of a slave, not the son of a princess. In a second, identity changed. The bondage was broken. It's no longer a slave in his heart. Earlier in the palace, he was a slave to Egypt and Egypt's sin. Now, outside, he's a slave along with Israel, but a free man in his heart. But the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt and they were slaves in the wilderness because they were never free from the world in their hearts. So they were always slaves. And slaves cannot inherit the promised land. It is for free men. It is for free men. So God says, we cannot. Now Luke 15 and verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? Now he's sitting in the pig pen. Okay? All the fantasies of this world is done with. ICU, HIV positive, full-blown AIDS. I keep hearing every day, including yesterday. When they reach there, all fantasies are gone. And these are not poor people. They are extremely rich, powerful people. One day in the world, they have reached there and they realize the only thing that matters is Christ and Christ alone. And I read their repentance letters. They send it to me and I read it and I say, thank you, Lord. Please, they go home. Different places, people reach their big pen. They reach. Then they realize even at least at the end of their life, they realize only one who mattered was Christ. He reaches the big pen. All the fantasies which he went after has lost its power. The pleasure part of sin is over. Now only the pain part is left. But his mind is not encountering only the truth about his father. Understand that. His mind is also dwelling on the love of his father. He's not saying my father has many servants. He's saying my father's servants have bread enough. What kind of servants? Three kinds of servants are there. First, those who are born in the household. They're almost like family members. They can have their quarters and like Eliezer. The 318 Abraham took. Then those who have you have bought, they also get their salaries um, and they also have their privileges. Then there are those hired ones. Daily wages. My father's hired servant. The third lowest category also have bread enough. He's not looking at the truth alone. He's looking at the kindness of his father. If it was truth alone, he would have died in the faraway country, depressed, discouraged. A lot of people commit suicide because they have heard only about the truth about God. They haven't heard about the love of God. If it was truth alone, the Samaritan woman would have gone back at the same time to the well the next day, even more despondent. Even a stranger knew what kind of a woman I am. But it was the love of the father that drew him. Truth gave him no rights, no privileges. But the father's love was what drew him back. Understand that. You have to balance it both. 
the issue with this older son is more complicated it is not the love of things it was the love of self we don't hear about him since the day the property was divided his diligent works probably away in his father's estate which is now his estate good steward of resources time everything and the day the prodigal son comes back probably he walks back the same way the younger son had walked into that house that day but the father is not watching for him because he is one son who returns every day the father watches for the son who does not return not the one who returns every day he hears sounds music and dancing and look 1526 he calls the servant when he came to the he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant he didn't go in he said hey call one of the servant what do this means you can imagine the conversation in your mind your brother is back okay how did he come back rich or poor healthy or sick how did he come back that's where the marriage covenant I don't know how prosperity preachers marry their couples off. How can they say in riches or because they don't believe in poverty? In health or and they don't believe in sickness? Have you noticed after the prosperity gospel came into US, the divorce rate has shot up above 50%? It's a direct result of what you believe. Did he come back rich or poor? Poor. Sick. Healthy or starved. Every bone is sticking out. He hears all these things. You see, you need to realize, servants know a lot. Servants in the house knows a lot. Okay. But you have to be careful about servants. Pastor Vijay spoke last Sunday on Nabal and Abigail. If I was Abigail and the day Nabal dies the first thing I will do is fire that servant. You now what the servant said I didn't show it to you first Samuel chapter 25 and verse 17 I want you to read what the servant said. Now therefore know and consider what you will do for harm is determined against our master and against all his household for he is such a if a servant says that about me that's the last day he will work in my house. servants know a lot okay so don't be that kind of an employee who say my team manager is a scoundrel okay because our god hears conversations he hears all this i wonder what if it was different oh your brother he has come from dubai and he's put on a lot of weight too and he's got a gold chain and it's got a gold chain and you know how many bags he brought i, I hope you guys read newspapers no when uh, vijay malia's um, bail application was pending in the high court uh, his lawyer tried to say that he had gone abroad for a meeting so the enforcement director uh, directorate lawyer said who goes to a meeting abroad with 300 bags 
No argument, right? What if the servant has said, you have any clue? Your brother has come back with from Dubai. He went with one bag. He has come with three, five suitcases. And it looks different. Chains all over. You see, Jesus did not teach us parables in parables to entertain us, but to educate us. Because in every parable, if you see, you see yourself. We see ourselves. In Matthew 16 and verse 24, Jesus said something interesting. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone decides to come after me, let him deny himself. He says, if you ever want to follow me, there's something which you have to do. Even before you pick up your cross, forget that. Okay? You see, the cross... Paul will say, where the world has died to me and I have dulled to them. You can die to the world and never deny yourself. You know that? The world has no effect on you, but you are absolutely strong-willed. And you will only have your way in your life. You have no attachment to the world. He doesn't say pick up your cross first. He says deny yourself. Deny yourself. The Pharisees were a set of people. They were among them who had denied them, who had forsaken the world. But they would not deny themselves. Understand the differences. What does it mean to deny yourself? Fasting, prayer, live like a monk? No. You have to look it through the prism of God's love to understand what it means. We all know the first commandment, love God with all your heart. Let's look at it. Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as? Meaning, can you look at your neighbor as you look at yourself? Can you deny your worst instincts and wish for your brother what you would not wish for yourself? Can you deny your worst instincts and wish for your brother what you would wish for yourself? The elder brother had two choices. To project himself and reject his brother or deny himself and receive his brother. Choice one if he projected himself and rejected his brother, he would be rich and his brother would be poor. If he denied himself and received his brother, then he would be poor, that is humble, and his brother would be rich. Look at what scripture says in Second Corinthians 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That through his poverty, you through his poverty might become rich. That's what the elder brother could have done. But he was angry. He's angry. Always watch out for anger. It's a thermometer that tells you the temperature of your soul. He was angry. Listen to his testimony. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. 
I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. You see, I denied myself. He didn't. I obeyed. He didn't. And he said, I have been serving you. I have been slaving for you. But do you see, he has been serving his father all these years. Yet he had no joy. And do you know how many people serve God that way? No joy. No joy. Verse 28 scripture says, his father pleaded with him, please come inside. Please. Come inside. He refused. Pleaded. He was angry, would not go in. This is the Greatest day in the father's life, happiest day in the father's life, and he refused to become a partaker of the father's joy. Think about it. I always think this. What if this church was not English and was Telugu? The crowd would have been different. You know that? The crowd in our church is kind of middle class, relatively well to do. But if it had been a pure Telugu church, it would have been a different ballgame altogether. And the question is, would he have been able to love one another the same way? That's what Jesus said in 15, 1 to 3. All the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes complained saying, this man receives sinners and eat with them. He spoke this parable to them saying, what is he doing? Did you know that? He received the sinners and he received the righteous and taught them both. He didn't reject the scribes and the Pharisees. He was actually inviting, come inside. Rejoice. As these tax collectors and prostitutes are repenting and entering, you guys who don't need to repent, why are you not excited? Don't you know the heart of my father? Okay, you don't need to repent. Fine, you're all up to the date, on the mark. So why don't you rejoice? These guys are getting in. So the question is, look in the mirror, what do you see? This is projected in a different way and we have to read this in our own in our own this thing. How do I react? Look at verse 30 what he says. As soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. Meaning this useless fellow. He's not productive. What has he brought? What did you do? You killed the fatted calf. You wasted your resources on him. You're wasting your resources on somebody who's unproductive. What is this? I work hard and have increased your riches. This fellow wastes everything, is totally unproductive, and you're killing the calf for him. 
think about it. How do we see? And these are all orphans, widows, handicapped, ill people in the hospital, beggars. And you're wasting the five-star calf on them? So many pastors I heard told me, how come your church is full of orphans and widows? My constant answer to all of them is because God has entrusted them with you. See, this it's an attitude of the heart. The point is that when that attitude of gets into a heart, a point can come where we will even see worship as waste. And you can walk with Jesus and see worship as waste. Because scripture says the woman in one parable, in one gospel, in the other, when Mary Magdalene took the alabaster oil and anointed him, the disciples thought it was waste. A point can come into your life where you will start thinking praying is a waste. Going to church is a waste. Worship is a waste. It's not productive. Who are you praying for? RSS, Bajrangdal. Really? What a waste. Do you really want those kind of people in the kingdom? Yes, I do. Do you want all these prisoners and kids sitting in the juvenile home all who have been caught in the kingdom? I do. You will see prayer as waste. You will see. See, our issue is we pray for our needs. We don't pray for the father's need. We fast for our need. We don't fast for the father's need. Scripture doesn't say Simeon was waiting for his consolation. Scripture says Simeon was waiting in the temple for the consolation of Israel. And Hannah went and talked to the people who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Two people to whom God said, my son is in the house. Because their hearts were focused on the father's heart. Not on their needs. That's a denial of self. You see, the younger one was separated and rebellious when he was away from the house. While the elder was separated and rebellious in his heart, even when he was in the house. One was open in his rebellion. The other was hidden in his rebellion. It's only one incident that brought it out. The father's response is important to understand the heart of God. In verse 31, God says, we are always with him. We are always. And all I have is yours. God loves the sinner and the legalistic. His love for us is not even constrained by our behavior. Our behavior, our attitude might become the very block to experiencing his love. Read that words once again clearly. You are always, what does it mean? Son, your behavior was always obnoxious. But you were always with me. Though you never knew I was always with you. Do you think fathers don't know the hearts of their children? Of course they know. You were always in between. 
But because of this block in your heart, you could never understand that I was always with you. All that I have was always yours. But you did not know all that was mine was yours because you could have had the fatted calf any day you wanted. But you could not have it because your heart blocked it. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, scripture says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. God says, I know. I don't know about your thoughts towards me. But I know what my thoughts towards you. And I know my thoughts towards you. Our thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and hope. God says, this is how I think about you. In Isaiah 49 and verse 16, scripture says, see, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. I don't know where I am in your life, where you have inscribed my name. I don't know. Some corner of your house or somewhere. Some maybe one poster on the top of your door, which you don't even look, forget it is there. But I know where you are in my life. I don't know where I am in your life. To see it that way. That's what Father is telling the oldest son. You see, you are in my house. Everything I have is yours. Yet, you are not able to experience my love. In Psalm 139 and verse 18, Scripture says, If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Your thoughts towards me, I cannot come. That's what the father is saying. Son, you are always with me. The father had two sons. One son went away. Far away. How long, we do not know. Though he was so far away at a time and age where there is no mail, no SMS, no phone, no mobile, nothing. Yet though he is far away, he was always with him. That's why every day you see him at the window watching. There was one son who was in the house. That son too was with him. So whether you are a prodigal or whether you are legalistic, God says, you know what? I love you both. But your heart can become the very reason where you are not able to experience my love. Tonight what I want to tell you is if you ever want to get out of your rut and be consistent, focus on God's love for you. It's the most liberating part because it is the truth. There is nothing I can do to change his love for me. If that is true, I can go back to him anytime. Anything that I have done, I can go back to him. That's one place I can go back. I need to come to my senses, understand the love of my God and the truth about my God and I can go back. That's why Jesus says, if any man comes to me, I will by no means cast him away. What blocks us is our own heart. It's our own heart. Examine our own hearts. What is blocking us? Blocking us. The younger brother, it was the world. 
It was the world. He had heard from so many people. He had heard the world was blocking him from experiencing the love of the Father. So the Father gave him the freedom to go. He went, messed up, and he came back. The father's never loved, never changed. When he went from the father's house, like, you know, I don't know whether you know it, but when you are young, that's what you do, you know. When I used to travel as a student back from, you know, young, you know, Bhutan, you're coming back, even though it is three days in the train. When you get out of the train, I used to wear my best clothes. That's just a young man. Okay. This young man, when he went from his father's house, how do you think he went? In his best robe, best pair of boots, Money, fat money wallet. When he came back, rags, not even chappals on his feet, nothing. But when the father received him, he received him just the way he went. Put the best robe, put a ring on his finger, and put sandals on his feet. You have to look at it that way, because that's the only thing that will make you serve God, and love God, and serve him. All the days of his life. That's the only way you will be able to love others. Because you suddenly realize, I am not competing for my father's love. Because what the world has done, as a close, let me put across this truth. The world has done is that. The world has created this fantasy for centuries stories. And we have all Romeo, Juliet, he runs down to every movie, song. Has created this complete shift from the truth of God. Truth of God. So, we don't even know how to love. Only God knows how to love. And unless you allow God to love through you, you will not, I and you will not learn how to love. Because you know what? The man... Wants his wife to love him like a mistress. Because that is the love the world is actually talking about. Some men want their wife to mother him. Some mothers want to be treated like a wife. Some daughters want their father to treat them like a boyfriend. It's totally messed up in the mind because they don't even understand what love is. And it is the fights over these. Because you have never experienced God's love. You never have to compete for his love. It's always the same. Whether you are good or bad. He always loves you. You cannot increase his love nor decrease his love. Approval is a different thing. But love, nowhere. We don't realize our minds have been totally messed up by this world. Because the big most... Common word, song, movie, everything is about love, right? But none of it is true. None of it is true. Nothing about it is true. It's all false. There's only one love which is true. It is the love of God. It is true. Everything else is false. So you have to re-examine your love in the light of God's love. Examine. I always ask young men, in some places I really ask young men, you are in the house of God, you are serving. How do you like, how do you actually accept your wife dressed like this? Because when I asked her, she said, my husband likes it like that. I said, what's wrong with you? She's not dressed as your wife, she's dressed as your mistress. There's something wrong with you, there's nothing wrong with her, something wrong with you. So do you know there's something wrong with you? 
You don't love her like a wife. You love her like a mistress. Because that's how men want their mistress dressed, not their wife dressed. So there's something warped in your mind. And you think you love her. You actually don't. It goes everywhere. At every level, it's messed up. That is where the truth has to come back. And we have to see everything in the light of God as the father, Jesus as the husband, Jesus as the eldest brother. You have to see it all that way and say, Lord, teach me to love. Teach me. So that my love can be true. Can be true. Otherwise it cannot be true. And we'll be always performing in life to get love, acceptance when there is one waiting at the windows of heaven, watching day and night without taking a break for you to come to him so that you may know what love is. We sing all those songs, searching for love in all the wrong places. Yes, it is true, still. Because there's only one who knows how to love. Because he himself is love. That's what sets you free. Once you know God loves you when you were a sinner, he loves you the same way when you accepted him. And now they are 25 years into the Lord. He still loves you the same way. You never have to perform for his love. It sets you free. Because when you fall, you know you can go back. You are accepted when you fall. You are accepted when you are standing. Because your standing doesn't make any difference to your love. Sets you free. You don't have to earn your love. Now you are striving to earn his approval. Lord, show me what I want to do. I know you love me. Now I want to please you. I want to please you. I'm not fighting for love. I am fighting to give you pleasure. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this evening, we just come to you, Lord, and a couple of weeks, the year will be over. And as we count these days, Lord, speak to us, teach us, show us. Because it's your love that caused all this. The whole of creation, the whole story of redemption, the whole story of the new creation is all because you love us unconditionally. Our love is warped. Our love is tainted. Help us to love as you love. Help us to be secure in your love first. Then open our hearts and our lives for you to love through us. Give us your eyes, your mind, and your heart, Lord. For our mind is warped. Our heart is hard. And our love is tainted. We need you, Lord. We need you. Continue speaking to us. Prepare us to be all that you intended us to be, Lord, as individuals and as a church. Commit the rest of the week into the hands, tomorrow, day after tomorrow, all the ministries. To the most broken among people we are going, I pray, Father, we just not only go with gifts, but we go with you. Because there's nothing greater we can give them than the love of God. 
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. You brought us safely. We believe you will reach us safely. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.